Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today Michael Giannoulis joins us today to share seven traffic strategies. Oh my, I'm starting out already, I can't even talk. Seven traffic strategies that you can implement in your marketing strategy today. Now, Michael is a serial entrepreneur and a master copywriter who helps business owners grow their companies and instructs copywriters on creating highly converting and compliant ads and sales material. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Michael has overcome many odds, and he loves to share that story to inspire others and explain his journey. So in 2012, he appeared on the ABC television show Extreme Makeover, weight loss edition, losing 255 pounds in a single year. He has overcome a stutter. He has gone from the bottom of the corporate ladder to the top of the mountain, and he loves helping others do the same. And he especially thrives on connecting with entrepreneurs, marketers, and copywriters to motivate them to do big things in the world. Mike, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. I'm sorry, I was messing up the intro, but I was trying to read it and and was really saying, man, this guy is just fascinating. And I tripped my own self up. So welcome to your partner in Success Radio. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I know I always find it odd when I when I hear that read back to me, it's like, it's like, who's that guy? You know, like it's know. always, you always sound way more cool when they read that, you know, than you feel like you actually are. <laughs> well, and you know, the funny thing, and I'm going to share my imposter syndrome here. I've been doing this for 13 years. I'm in the top 2.5% of global podcasts. I don't know why I have imposter syndrome, but we all have it. And honestly, I will get when I'm doing the introductions, and this happens almost every time, but most of the time I catch myself, I'll say, why in the world is this really cool person spending time with me? What the heck? So that's what happened there. No, I know I find the same thing for myself when I when I if I ever write ads for other people, you know I'm like, oh, you're the best ever. We're gonna we're gonna talk about this and we're gonna, we're gonna say this. We're gonna you know, and they're always like, no, no, no. But then when I write ads for myself, it's so hard. I I, yeah. I never want to be like, he's a great copywriter. You know, it's just like super weird. Exactly. So like talk about yourself. It is. And I'll have people say, well, Denise, what is it that you do? I'm a web developer. I own a digital agency. I do my podcast because I love it. And when I have to sit down and talk about what I do or write it out, I'm like, uh, I think I'm going to go cook something. I'll be in the kitchen. It just floors <laughs> me. I don't know why we do that. Yeah, it's a very human trait, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So listen, I want you to tell your story. You know, you you have a pretty inspiring story. I know you started in an average family where you had to work with every, for everything you had. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But you dropped out of high school and you went back to get your degree and even went to college. So tell us a bit about that and then how you wound up on that show. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, it's one of those things, and I don't know if it's just me, but I'm I'm turning 40 this year at the end of the year, so it's kind of a big, you know, 
big one, but I think the older you get, the more you realize, you know, some of the things about your childhood that were just off. But I guess at the time you just don't really realize it because you're just young and you just assume that's the way it is. But yeah, I, I had a very tumultuous home life in the sense that I had a stepdad who was kind of real, just uh, mean and could be uh, abusive sometimes. And I mean, I mean, you know, you're not extreme, but but emotionally especially. And so when I was very young, you know, he, he came into my life when I, when I was about 12. And I think that, that added a lot of stress and, like, strain to everything. So as I got older, I was always very, very good in school. And, you know, everyone would always say, oh, you're very, very smart and you're, and you're going to do all these great things. And I, I was kind of always told that. But by the end of high school time, I was very, very, I think, you know, traumatized from all this, the things going, going on at home. It's, it's extremely hard to be doing schoolwork when there's yelling and arguing and fighting going on and, and all those things. And at the time, I just kind of blame myself. But now I, as I've gotten older, I'm like, man, that was a rough spot to be in. But, um, you know, I, so I think that caused a, a, a bunch of things that I, that I think I could have done had I not been in that kind of an environment. But like you said, I don't want to ever trade that, even if I could, because I think it helped to make me who I am. So when I was in my junior year, I, I did actually uh, – actually, it was my senior year. I actually dropped out for about six to nine weeks, and my mom was furious and basically just bugged me every day till I finally was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go back. So I actually went – back and um, I was able to catch up on the stuff that I had fallen behind on and I actually was able to still graduate and magically I don't even know how but I had a really awesome guidance counselor who behind me you know without even telling me applied me for all these uh, scholarships and I actually got a scholarship for like 75% of all my tuition to um, any school in the state so I was able to go to school um, after that, and that you know, that took it took me a long time. I, I I joke it took me six years to get my first two years done because again I was very very scattered. But I did all kinds of things during that uh, time frame. But um, eventually I would go on and I I, I finished an MBA, and now I just you know I love all that stuff. I, like for me it's fun and, and I and and I enjoy it. But Behind the scenes on during all that time, since I, since the time I was about five or six, I I was pretty much an overweight kid, and you might understand this being I think you're you're in Louisiana. I'm not sure if you're from the South, but right. my my grandma she was from well I called her Granny. She was from Alabama, and she was like as like uh, you know Southern as they as they come. And, and when, when I was four or five, she would always say that I was way too skinny. Oh. And so she would, she would purposely cook me all this food, bacon and grits and eggs. And I mean, and I mean, I was, I was like five and I would eat a pound of bacon every day and oh she was trying to get me fat and, and she, oh. She she did good, you know. She she got me there, and so as I as I got older, I just continued to get bigger. And I and I, I recall being like 17, 
and I weigh 359 pounds because I I know that because I, I got on this uh, freight scale, and the guy standing next to me was like, "Oh, 359! Wow, one more pound, you'll be a complete circle." And oh. not a bad joke, you know, actually, but but it kind of you know, but that's why that kind of stuck in my head. That's your attention. And then I just think, yeah. And I, I, but I continue to struggle, and I would drop weight and put it back on, and like like most people have, and but for me, I would lose like 100 pounds, and then put back on 120, and then lose 90, and put back on 110. It was this kind of thing until eventually, in my uh, late 20s, I was I, I peaked out at 540 pounds. Oh my! So I remember thinking to myself one day. I was like, wow, I'm actually closer to a thousand pounds than I am to zero. And that was when I was like, I got to do something to change this. And that's when I applied for the TV show. And um, that was, it was tough for me because I, you know, I knew I was going to have to like bear my entire soul and, and go on this thing. And, you know, you have to weigh in in front of, you know, basically millions of people in your underwear, which, you know, it's, no one's dream, right? Um, no. Unless you're like a, I guess if you're a Victoria's Secret model, then you're you're fine with that. But but not anymore. Me, I did, you know, yeah, not anymore. Yeah, they just Mm-mm. changed that. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I I applied. There was over ten thousand people that applied, and they chose eight. And just I was, uh, you know, blessed in, enough to be in that eight and. I got picked for the show, and it was pretty awesome. We did a lot of cool things. It was extremely hard. I mean, I was when I started the show, the funny thing is I had lost some weight before the show started, and I remember thinking back then, oh, I hope I didn't lose too much weight. And I remember I, I weighed 493 pounds. Well, here I was, almost 500 pounds, and I was afraid that I was too skinny for the show. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of shows you where, like, your brain's at like I, I you know, now I look back and I was like I was massive how did I ever think I was gonna be too small you know but yeah so I started the show we trained uh, six days a week at least four hours a day so sometimes up to six hours of either of cardio and weight training and we did that Monday through Saturday we got Sundays off and Unlike most of the shows, if you've ever seen them, where they take you off somewhere and you're just there for six months or whatever, we actually had to do everything from home, and we had to continue our jobs, and we had to continue to pay our own way. So we didn't have, like, you know, this whole experience where we just were, you know, gone for the whole time. I did did get to go to a few different little, like, month-long things, but generally speaking, I was at home having to – have a job or, you know, pay for things. And, you know, thankfully back then I, I, I had started my internet stuff. So I was able to still bring in some income without having to work a ton of hours. And, um, but that, that, that was a very, very cool time. And I think it showed me what is possible. It, you know, if you really time, you put in the effort and you believe in yourself. And so in the course of the year on the show, I went from 493 pounds on sort of day one and in exactly a year to the day after the show started, um, I weighed 238 pounds. And that was insane because I actually lost 
255 pounds in one year. And it was weird to think about that I lost more weight than I weighed, right? I was like very weird. I lost 255 and I weighed 238. So it was like something like 51 or 52% of my body weight. Um, So it was quite an adventure. Had a great host on the show. His name was Chris Powell and his wife, Heidi, and they were awesome. And they just helped so much. And we did have a lot of support. We had psychologists and we had nutritionists and we had doctors and um, extra uh, coaches to help with like different aspects of things. And so it was, it was very, very awesome. And, uh, uh, and overall, you know, I would say a great experience, but there was a lot of downside as well, which they didn't really know it at the time. But since we've went through this now, they've, they've done a lot of studies and they found that, Basically, any kind of like rapid, massive weight loss just has a huge detrimental effect on, on your organs, right? Well, Does well it hurt your it's organs? not bad. It, it can. You can have you know problems and things like that. But but generally speaking, the the, the really bad effects come on your metabolic rate. So your metabolism uh, can really really take a hit. Take so a like hit. for example, mine went down to, and I don't have the exact stats on me, but it was a, I, had, I had done a t- test on it, and my metabolic scoring was supposed to be on a score from, like, zero to one, with one being, like, the best ever, and, you know, zero being you, know, you don't have anything. And I think I went down to, like, a .5 or a .45, something like that. And so I started to just pack on, you know, weight again, and I felt like I was doing the right things, but it didn't matter. And there's a lot of people who go through that and they don't know that, that the real cause is, is actually the human body has a lot of these like sort of built-in protection mechanisms. Yes, they'll say that's right. Yeah. And I've, and I've always heard that, now, though, that, that a lot of people yeah. will go right back to where they were or beyond. And it's, I never did yeah. understand yeah. why. And you have not put yeah. that way back yeah. on. I mean, I've seen pictures of you. You look wonderful. Yeah, it, was, it took a lot of time, a lot, a lot of things, and, and I was, and I did put weight back on, but I was able to take it off, and now I've kept it off for, you know, going on six years. Still, I'll fluctuate more than like the average person probably. Like I can go anywhere from 200 to like 225 in that range, um, depending upon the year and how, um, you know, if I'm you know doing really good or if I'm having an off month, I still have that. But and I've and I've also gone through like. I think now it's used four different surgeries to remove skin, and those are good and bad. I was going to ask you about that, and I didn't really want to, but it's, you know, I almost have to ask because I'm I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, so the first one was the biggest one of all. They they took 15 and a half pounds of skin just around my stomach, you know, like the kind of stomach pouch area. It was crazy, 15 and a half pounds, and, and then I did um, – then I've done three more since then. Yes, I've done four. So then I did one of, of my, like, chest area and kind of like that, and, I, and those are all kind of smaller. Those are three to five pounds each, and then I did back, um, and then I redid my stomach again because I put some weight back on and, you know, pulled it back off. So it was not terrible – but that, that helps out. And then now the things I have left are my 
my arms. I still want to do my arms. And then I go back and forth on my inner thighs. I don't, I want to get them done, but my wife is afraid because she's seen, it's one of the areas that can cause issues if they screw it up. And so it's, you know, it's mm. just a higher risk. So it's kind of like I go back and forth on, on that one. But yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot. It's been, it's been quite a process. The, the show paid for the first one. And they accidentally sent the bill to my house when I got home, and it was insane. It was like a hundred and ten thousand uh, dollars. I don't think they actually paid that much, but that was like the retail cost, you know, of that one. So, I was, but that was done by like a Beverly Hills surgeon, so that, you know. Right. 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 So but yeah, so that, that's all been that experience. That's. And the thing is, you did it. Listen, when I put on a little bit of weight, if I you know put on an extra fifteen pounds, I'm ratchet. I'm moaning. I'm crying. I'm saying no more butter. Listen, and I get your grandma. I really do. I live in the deep south, and I've always kind of joked about this, but you know, I'll tell people, listen, when here in the south. We don't kill you with guns or knives. If we are really ticked at our husband and we want to get rid of him, we just say, honey, you want some more butter? Because butter is not detectable in the autopsy as a murder weapon. Seriously, if your wife is constantly trying to give you more butter, she probably hates you. But, you know, it's – and while you were talking, I was thinking, how in the world – I mean, how did you manage to do all of this and work and build businesses? My brain gets fuzzy, honestly. My brain gets, it's almost like in inflammation if I put on a little too much weight. And I can feel it. I mean, it slows yeah, me yeah, down. It may not slow me down yeah. physically as much, but my brain just goes, what the hell have you done to yourself? And it's time to go do something about it. Yeah, there, there is a, there's a, a lot of truth to that. And I, I honestly think that for me, it was because I didn't know anything else. I never right. had a comparison. I was I was big from since from the time I became conscious. I was always the fat kid and the overweight kid and then the big kid and then the really big kid, you know. And it, so I never had a comparison. Like I actually was at the doctor once, and he said something to me like, you know, you know, follow this protocol and you'll be feeling like you did when you when you when you were in your twenties. And I was like. I felt terrible in my 20s. I don't want to go back to that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a comparison to, like, now. I guess if there's any benefit is that, truly, I'm in the best shape of my whole life, and I feel better at almost 40 than when I was 20, but not because I'm in, like, incredible shape, but because I was just in such terrible shape that everything is good compared to that. So I think that's part of it. And, And I do recall, like, you know, meeting people and, I was I wasn't I, I I don't really take offense to things but I, not really offended but I was kind of like shocked because they'd be like wow I mean how do you do how do you like have a successful company most people like you are like bedridden and I was like what oh, you know wow. I didn't even process it I get older now and I look and, and I see it and I do understand that I was sort of an uh, anomaly I think that like physically too I, I was actually probably you know how they say, like, if you're an alcoholic, you almost have, like, a genetic uh, predisposition. Like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for, for that, I think I had whatever that gene was to be that big because I was three or four hundred pounds playing the basketball and being outside and being active. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't always just, like, 
you know, sitting at home. I, I recall once I went to the doctor in my, you know, late teens, and he was like, what I want you to do is I want you to start by watching TV. If there's a song on, I want you to, you know, stomp your feet, clap your hands. And I was like, well, should I stop playing basketball? He's like, you play basketball? Like, he was like shocked, <laughs> you know. And and so I, I do think that I, I had a little bit of that. So I wasn't perhaps – and. And, and, and again, when you don't have a comparison, it's it's you right. just kind of know it. That's just right. the way it is. So you weren't the kid that sat all you know and ate potato chips from dusk to dawn and never moved. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. actually yeah. had a life. You played. You went out and did what you needed to do, and you worked. So and and yeah. I do think yeah. that people get a really bad first impression of people who are really really large and. It kind of goes to the negative. I've caught myself doing it. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know that old joke? Oh, she has such a pretty face. It's a shame about the rest of her. Yeah. Stop doing that. We all do it. We all judge, and we don't know what the background story is at all. And listen, I've seen kids who came out of the womb, and you could tell they were going to be big people. That's just who they were. I have a nephew that way. I mean, he was born at almost 13 pounds. He's a big kid. I mean, I mean, he's not, yeah. you know, horribly obese, but he will never be a slim guy ever. He wasn't built that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, and that—that's how I am. I think I, I'm a, you know, I'm not ever going to be small, but I, I think now, like, they, you know, I have a lot of friends, and they, they'd always call me Big Mike, and and now they call me Medium Mike. Oh. So <laughs> I'll take it, you know. This is I step, love that. Step, step in the right <laughs> direction. So, yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you for sharing that story because it is motivation and it is important and it does speak to your absolute insistence on getting things done, which a lot of us need to learn that. I mean, it's difficult. You know, you go, oh, you know I've got a headache. And we start whining and we don't do the things we need to do. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, procrastination. So, I mean, you're well, yeah, you're yeah. telling us that you can get past all of that and do great things. Well, yeah, that's actually a quick, I'll just, you know, say this real quick. This is something I am working on through, you know, becoming aware of things, and this may help some, some people here, but it, it, was, it, was very, it was very big for me to help, to help explain how I've been able to do what, you know, the things I've done. And the idea is, is this, motivation, because people always ask, how did you do it? How did you stay motivated? If you actually think about it and you really break down what motivation is, motivation is really just an emotion. And all it truly does is, get, is, is it gets in your way because asking am I motivated is just giving you an out. So you have to get away from the feeling of motivation because, all, again, all it is is a feeling. And it's just saying, do I feel like doing this? So you have to just stop that and say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. Don't ask if you feel like it. Should I do it? Do I want to do it? It's just a step. A, you know, the motivation checkbox is truly an on-off switch. So instead, just bypass it completely. And don't give yourself a choice. Just say, this is what I do. This is what I have to do. You know, they, uh, Tony Robbins says, you know, there's this thing about you, you turn your shoulds into musts. 
But, but the, that's the biggest key. I think that motivation will always fail you because you're not going to feel like it every single day. And if you look at any professional in any kind of like sport or, or, or you know, industry, whatever, there are days when they don't want to do it, but they do it. And eventually when you, when you do that enough, you'll actually become more into it because you, you kind of create it. So that's the, that's the other cool thing. Our actions create our habits, not the other way. You know, we actually have to start it through action, and, and, and that's the only way. So that's like one of the uh, books that, that I want to write, I just, I just haven't had time yet, is called um, Motivation is a Myth and Goals Don't Work. You <laughs> told me about that. Title. Right. You told me about yeah, that when, yeah. we, when we spoke last. And I tend to agree with you on motivation. Yeah, and I love motivational quotes. I do. I love them. But I'll look at them and go, oh, that's great. And then off I go and I go do something else. What a motivational quote to me is that somebody else was brilliant and put it on paper. That's pretty much what I get out of it. And I'll catch myself thinking, okay, that's terrific. You know, that's I'm really appreciative of that. But I don't actually put anything from it in play, and I've noticed that time and time again. So, yeah, they're good, but if you don't go do it, get off your butt and go do whatever it was that you said you were going to do, you know, you're just kind of wishing. You've got a hobby. You don't have a business. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. And that's the thing that I get asked, uh, you know, when, when, whenever I've, like, spoken at e- events or things like that, people always ask me that. They're always like, how do I – either lose weight or grow my business or I stutter and I need to fix it or, you know, whatever the thing is. And it's always like, it's, it's weirdly, but it's almost like they want permission to be able to do what they want to do, or they want me to give them some like magical secret. If there was anything as close to that, that I could say that is a magical secret, it would be, it would be this. And that is like, do the most absolute minimum thing that you can do that you know you can do. So, you know, if people want to, like, like even me, this is, this is one area that I, that I still fail at, is like, okay, if you want to write, let's say you have this idea that you want to write a book, well, you know you've got to write. Okay, so most people will say, okay, well, I'm going to write for an hour a day. I'm going to write uh, a thousand words a day. Right. The problem is there's going to come days when you don't want to do that, and you're going to skip it, and you're going to, and then, and then you're going to eventually you'll fall off because you skip it. And, and you've so already instead, turned yourself away from it. You've already said, I don't know about you. I don't like to be told what to do. I fight with my GPS system. She is not the boss of me. I don't <laughs> even want to me to. It's like I am yeah. not going to go left, and I get lost. But. If I set myself what I know is an unreasonable goal, I'm already trying to find a way around it. That's just how we operate. Yeah, exactly. It is. So what I tell people is just set like the most minimal viable goal. So right. maybe, you know, maybe the goal is you know, 50 words a day. I'm going to write 50 words a day, and that's it, just 50. And, and if you, the truth is if you write 50, you'll probably write 500, but start hmm. with that. Because then you kind of know, no, 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 no matter what's going on, if, if the kids are going insane or this crazy thing happened, you know you can sit down. You can even sit on your phone if you had to on the toilet and type out 50 words, right? You know, like you can make a way. And if you do that and you keep at it, you'll, you'll start to see things. And, you know, it's funny. I had a project that I kept putting off and putting off, and it was on my to-do list, and I would just drag it over to the next day and the next day. And I finally was like, why am I, you know, why am I – 
not getting this done. And I finally saw it is because of the task was like, was like create this, you know, 21 step sales page template. And I was like, no wonder that's, that's a lot of work. So yeah. I and you think, can't do that so, in an hour. Yeah. You just can't. Exactly. So exactly right. Cause I, like, yeah, oh gosh, I changed I the task to be, no, yeah, exactly. Was well, you were spot on. I changed it to be work on this for one hour. And that was it. And I was like, I set my timer, you know, I did it for one hour and I stopped. And then the next day, one hour. And the next day, one hour, and I was done. But I exactly. next, and I, I mean, that was after weeks. That was after weeks of dragging it to the next day, dragging it to the next day, dragging it because I just didn't, I guess I couldn't see myself doing it. And so my, I, well, I, my body or ever fought it, you know? Right, right. And you know, another trick, and I do this a lot because, you know, I live alone. I can talk to myself. I have cats. I talk to them. I am a brilliant conversationist, just ask them. But the thing is, a lot of times I don't want to sit in front of what I call an epic blank document because I just go blank and I don't hit the keyboard. And I'm one of those people. I need two keyboards a year. I pound the bejeebers out of them and kill them. I mean, I'm always on a keyboard. So I hit the record button when something pops into my head and it is too good to let go. And I may be in the car. I may be somewhere else, but I've got to get it down. I'll hit the record button on my phone, talk it out loud to myself, then transcribe it. And I've got my document. Yeah, that's a great that's a great hack, and that works extremely well. And the funny thing is, if you're writing uh, sales copy, um, that's that actually ends up being some of the best sales copy because the whole challenge, and I guess I'll segue some here, is on w- when you do write write ads. Most people think I have to write an ad, but the reality is, you just need to talk to people like they want to be talked to, and you talk to them like how you talk to exactly. And when, right, you, right. when you talk it out, you end up – you write a lot better copy. Yeah, you got to go out and cut the ums and the, the you knows and all that, but you generally get a way more uh, real conversation that people will relate to. And, and I tell people that all, all the time, just start with that. Just record something. You can always go back, tweak it, edit it, and all that. But, but uh, if, if you try to write it all, and especially if that's not your strength, it can be – it can be tough. And Mike, have you noticed this? I, I've noticed this all of my life because I have a, you know, I'm fairly well educated and I'm a voracious reader. I can read books like nobody's business and I'm a speed reader, so I know big words. I don't always use them. I live in the South. They're not necessary. They're redundant <laughs> half the time. But the thing yeah. is, I speak very differently than I write. And I have to make you know, I'll have to say, Denise, don't try to write this. Talk it out because it's going to be a lot more conversational. It's going to be easier for people to relate to. So I've had to kind of train myself not to write as much and to speak it more and then transcribe it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I've personally, for me, I because I've trained myself to write copy for so many years now, I probably right. write. Like like I talk now, but, oh, uh, but I, I do. I can't. I, I'm not there I've yet. Also, yeah, it's, but I mean, I mean, this is pretty much all I've done for almost 20 years. So you know, it kind of adds up. But the other thing too is I've all, I also had to learn to write like other people. So 
So when you bring in a job, you know, you, I may have to, like, say I have to write for you, right? I would have to learn how you talk, the things that you say, your, you know, where you're from, what your background is, uh, even your age. Like, we'll go, like, I'll go back and see, like, okay, well, when Denise was graduating, what were the top songs? What were the top uh, films of that time frame? Because then I can use those in, like, references, and that may attract your uh, audiences too, you know? So there's all these things. That, that I've had to do, but that's more for like, again, when you write as other people. Um, I have a, find it weird in some ways that I, I sometimes I feel like I write. Well, I, I would say for sure I do. I I can write better for other people than I can myself, and which is always a little bit odd. But um, I almost view it like being a script writer, and you kind of have like your favorite actor. And you and, and you like to write for that actor. I've had I've had people like that. People where it was just like an instant you know instant chemistry, and I could write for them, and they and they could just go off and be fine. But then there's also some that are like this is not how I talk. This is terrible, and it just depends on the person. But um, you know it's just like that. I, I I kind of view it as like being a script writer for like my favorite actor, and, and so I you oh, know, I, like I enjoy that, that too. Yeah. And I do the same with social media marketing. I have multiple clients, and I have to speak in their own voice. And I've gotten so good at it that I actually had one client, his nephew was on Facebook Messenger arguing with me because I had to tell him, I'm not your uncle, I'm Denise. And he got really miffed because his uncle never got on social media, and he was getting birthday you know, messages. I mean, I was on top of it. I spoke in my client's voice. I mean, there was a bit of an argument. He said, I don't believe that you're not my Uncle Jack. Trust me, I'm not your Uncle Jack, <laughs> but I get what you're talking about. Now, I wanted to talk with you, and we've been you know, kind of covering copywriting, and I think that is a, a great, great topic, and we may go back to that. But what really wanted you to talk with me today is that you said you have seven traffic strategies that we can implement. In our, why can't I talk today? implement in our marketing strategies today. Can we go over those? Yeah, for sure. And I have it broken down in a few different ways. So it'll it'll be a it'll be a a roundabout way to get to seven. So I guess I, I like to teach things as from a sort of like top down. So we'll start with, with three things first. And okay. and then we'll kind of break it down because I'll be able to help people to, you know, based on where they're at right now and what their goals are and their budget and their skills because they all sort of tie in. So when, I, when, you, when you start with, like, online and you talk about driving traffic, there becomes – there's a million things, right? I mean, you can talk about Google and Facebook and Instagram and, and YouTube and, and SEO and content and on and on and on, banner ads, right? You can go on and on. I, I could probably, you know, name 40 things. And the problem is people get, like, confused because they're like, well, what should I focus on? And then they end up dabbling, which is very, very tough. You go, I'm going to try some SEO, and I'm going to do social media, and I'll post on Facebook three times a week. And they end up going wide instead of going deep on maybe one or two things. And and, and that's a mistake that I see. And I do it myself, too, because you kind of feel like you have to be there on all fronts. But in reality, you should – Focus on one or two, get you know, grow those, and then expand out. But let's take that back. What are the three sort of types of traffic? And I break it down in, into these three things, and, and and that is there's 
three types. There's traffic that you have to work for, there's traffic you have to pay for, and there's traffic you have to beg for. Okay, so now you'll see that I never said free traffic. A lot of people say, oh, I want free traffic. There really is no, no such thing as free traffic. I put that under the category of working for it. Under that, you would have things like social media marketing or where you're posting on Instagram and Facebook and maybe you're, you, you know, young and you're doing a TikTok stuff on there, right? You know, you're, you're doing these things, but you're having to create content, you know, SEO as well. You're having to create a blog post and you have to go build backlinks. And, and so that is the work for it traffic. That's where you got to be creating something that draws eyeballs that eventually will move them to your funnels or your site or to book a call or whatever your uh, step is. Then next to that is the pay for it traffic. And that's probably the most common one that people think of when they think of just traffic. And, and that is actually buying those, those ads. So we have things like Facebook ads and Instagram ads and there's YouTube ads and GDN ads and on and on it goes. So, so those, those are the paid for it uh, ways. And then, th- and then thirdly, we have what I call a beg for it. And this is probably the most underutilized form of traffic. And this is basically like joint venture deals, affiliates, and partnerships. And now the reason why I call it beg for it, if you've ever had to work in that space as I have, it's always a give and take. So it's like, hey, I have this new product I want to sell. Would you want to promote it to your audience and I'll pay you a commission of, you know, 25%. And I'll say, yeah, I would love to, but also I'm selling this product and I want you to sell it for me. And you end up in this sort of like, you know, trade pit for pat type type thing. And, and then you also have to follow up and make sure they send the email when they say they are and, you know, and and so you, there's all that side of things, but but that's the that's sort of the backboard, and that's where you got to be reaching out, and you got to be setting up these deals. So th- this could also include, uh, you know, he's finding like similar companies that maybe aren't competitive, but that are that correlate to what you sell. So you can cross over, sell for them, and and them for. So those those are like the three main categories. Now, quickly, I'll just run through this. So you have to decide where you're at. So if you're, like, struggling to pay for things, then you should focus on the work-for-it traffic or the beg-for-it traffic. Now, if you need results now, like right now, then the beg-for-it traffic is a great spot to start. This is just going out there right now and beginning to outreach to people that already have an audience. These are people like influencers, uh, other brands. And you you want to go to go go at them and you know make make friends if you can. Don't just get right down to like, hey, can you promote this, right? Um, and and you want to especially if you if you if you if you're if you're very tight on your you know how much you can spend, then you want to try to set up a deal where if they do a if they promote it, you can get an affiliate. Uh, tracking thing for them. So if they make a sale, they would get paid. If you have time, so if you have no money, but, but you got time, that's where you do the work for it strategy. So this would be things like starting to write blogs. So you can create 
content that you can rank in the search engines, creating YouTube videos, tutorials, all those kind of things that are going to get traffic. And then you distribute all this content through your social media channels. And you want to choose your, your social channels based on your audience demographic, right? Yeah, where they are. Right, where they A lot of people, they yeah. don't get that. They're like, oh, well, you know, I'm – and I'll get this with, you know, new web clients. I'll say, okay, who is your audience? Oh, everybody. Wrong answer. Yeah. Let's, yeah, exactly. let's narrow exactly. this down. Exactly. What are their ages? Where are they? Where do they live? Where do they work? What do they want? What are they looking for? If you are, let's just say that you're a quilter. You know, a lot of quilters make some good money online. And But let's assume that you're probably in your 50s, early 60s. You're not going to be part of the TikTok audience. <laughs> Give it up. You're not going there. Yes, yes exactly, exactly. I, I talk to you all the time, and that is the scariest thing is when people say it's for everybody. That's like no. that's like, always, always no, no, no. Bad. Yeah. So then if we jump back, and so then finally you have the pay the pay for it, and this is the one where if you have a if you have some income and you can afford it, it's the best because. It's controllable, and it's a lot more scalable, right? Um, once you have a campaign that converts with, say, Facebook ads or YouTube ads, it's not that hard to go in and just up your budget. Whereas if you're doing, like, blogging, it can be tougher because now you have to write three posts a week or five posts a week. And, you know, so you have it, – so it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's not – it's all of the – free stuff and even the the joint venture stuff is very linear it's very like i have to do more to get more whereas with the paid traffic side it's like i just have to edit a number in a field and hit save and now i'm going from from spending a thousand a day to say spending three thousand a day i just tripled my result by making one small change and that's more of a compounding um change. Now, to say all that is also to say that paid traffic is, is extremely hard, extremely difficult. I'm not going to say that is easy because it's not. And you've got to put a lot of time into it. And you have to really focus of all the things. And this is coming from someone that's a, you know, marketer, copywriter, been around forever, you know, done, you know, done some very cool things, you know, scaled companies to seven figures you know, multiple times, eight figures once. And the, the biggest factor I, I, I've come to see that makes paid traffic work or not is simply just math. It's just the math of your product and your price points. Because companies that sell traffic, like Facebook and all that, have they, they, they don't care what you sell from a, from a price standpoint, right? They don't adjust the price of what you pay based on the price of what you sell, right? So they don't care if you're selling a $10 ebook or a $10,000 mastermind. They're going to charge you the same amount for that traffic. So the way to, to truly extract more value is to have better priced products that are actually better serving a niche audience. And that's just what I've seen. I've seen – I was on a call the other day with a – a uh, group that, that, that I'm in, and, I, and I, I have a – right now, I actually have a copy writing course, and it's a struggle for me 
to sell it because it's like such a niche. It's like a very, very small thing, and there's not a you know ton. And I was in there, and I'm like trying to you know you know talk to this uh, guy about it, and, and you know I'm going on and on about how maybe I have to adjust my CPMs and my CPC is a little bit down, and if the CPA could come up a little bit, I mean I'm going on and on and on. Then right after me, this um, woman jumps in the call, and she's probably you know, in her 40s, maybe 50s, and literally sounded like she didn't know anything. She was like, so I turned on the one ad, and it's doing okay. I'm getting, what do you call it, people clicking on it. You know, like she couldn't even explain it. That yeah. would be your yeah, conversion, like, right? Yeah, and I was thinking, I was thinking in my mind, this poor, this poor woman, this is, a, this is sad, you know, and then she gets to the end, and she goes, so, so far, I spent a thousand dollars in my ads, and I'm thinking she just burned a thousand bucks. And she's like, "But I've only made back two sales, so I've only made back ten thousand. Is that oh, is that okay?" okay? Yeah. And I was like, "What in the world?" You know, and, and, it, and it, it turns out that she sells a five thousand dollar kind of one-on-one coaching program for that one thousand bucks. She she got about ten people on the phone, and two of them bought it. You know, that she didn't excellent. know anything. She literally knew nothing about right. it. She would just you know, turn things on. Anyway, that's my that's a that's an extreme example, right? But that's my point. Not that really. Times, I, it, I see it, that yeah, happen a yeah. lot. It's not really extreme. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the yeah. The whole point is, it's what where it gets to, where it gets to be extremely hard, and this is, this is the where I play in, and, and it's tough is selling cheaper products and being able to break even. That's extremely, extremely, extremely hard. If you can do that, then, you know, that's how you create seven-figure, eight-figure companies because then you can move massive volume. There's sort of two ends of the, of the traffic spectrum, and one is, like, moving massive volume at cheap prices, and then the other end is small quantities of people at higher prices. It's that, it's that in-between where you get kind of – and that's where I'm at with my copywriting thing, which is why I'm kind of like not following my own advice. And and those are the ones that are extremely hard to get anything. You know, if, if you're selling like a you know $500 price point to an audience that wants something that that's 30 or 40 bucks, it's going to be a struggle. Um, so you've got to kind of pick you know where you're at. And and I I do have a company now that's in the e-commerce space, and that one is pretty cool because that's that I think that does change it some because I I came out of selling like information and courses and events and, and all those things and now that I'm now that I've done um, more e-com I can say for sure on that side you can get away with selling cheaper products because it's just the whole industry sells cheaper stuff right so it's not like Maybe you're competing with someone that sells a bottle of vitamin D for, for 20 bucks versus someone that sells it for eight bucks, but everyone's in sort of a range. Um, and so the prices of the traffic reflect the potential profits of those sales. So that is a lot simpler, but I, you know, so I'll, I'll just kind of end with this whole little rant saying that, the, that on the e-com side, Facebook has been good for us and Google Shopping has been extremely good for us. And Google Shopping ads are the ones that if you, if you ever type in in Google like a product name, 
you'll see at the very top all these like pictures of products. And, and that's, um, those ads are relatively inexpensive, and the quality of, of the traffic is quite high. So if Mike, you're, if you if can, you're selling anything, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you're on a say, cell phone. Anything, and... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I was no, no. Saying, yeah, anything physical, check that out. Yeah. Google shopping yeah. ads. Very, very good. I was, I was going to explain to the audience why I appear to be um, talking over you, and it's not deliberate, but there is a bit of a delay when you're on a cell phone, and sometimes it's a second or two or three, and I'm not catching it in time, so I am speaking over you, and I apologize for that. My question no, was fine. going to be um, – well, it just sounds terrible when you go back and play it and go, Denise, that was so rude. So I'm telling you, I'm not being rude. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But Pinterest ads, have you have any any idea about those? Because Pinterest is almost its own Google. It's it's almost a search engine. Um, I spend a lot yes. of time on Pinterest. So have you tried anything yeah. over there? Yeah, so I've done two small tests with Pinterest. I've not had any luck with it, but it's more or less me. I, my wife has a Shopify store, very, very small things she does with her friend. And I threw some ads up for them. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't spend much, probably 50 or 100, um, and didn't really get any kind of sales out of it or, or even much action. Um, but again, too, the other thing, but I, I'm sure there, there are, there, there are people that I know that that's all they do. They just run high volume, Pinterest stuff. Now, I did just hear that Pinterest just banned doing any sort of like weight loss ads, oh. which is insane, I guess. But because I, I guess it's they're viewing it as like a negative experience, and they don't want because you know it's a, it's a predominantly female platform, and oh, so I wow. guess I don't know if enough people got upset about it or whatever, but they said that in order to shed like body positivity everywhere they're not going to allow any weight loss ads i'm sure there's some nuances to it i'm not quite sure i just saw the headline but that's the other thing too that you have to always be watching out for is as society changes we often end up there's a lot of things that we used to be able to do that now we can't do and that and even some of them are now viewed as like terrible or even you know bad like if you ever study all the old copywriting stuff everything is about like finding that pain point and just like poking them in the eye you know with that <laughs> terrible pain you know and, right. and then you you know then you kind of like i used to say that stuff all, all the time because that's what i was always taught and then i you know as i've gotten older i'm like man that's that's kind of rough you know you know what i mean like it, it, it becomes very, very very rough because you there's truly two ways to drive action in people and that is to to get them to move away from the pain or to get them to move towards pleasure. And unfortunately, we're way more driven by going away from pain than we are towards pleasure. That's why it's like we like the idea, like so if we're talking about like fitness, we like the idea of having like this perfect body and we're going to the beach and everyone's like, wow, look at them. They look incredible, right? We, that's a good feeling. But it's almost like a fantasy when you think about it in, in your head. But if you go to the doctor and they're like, you just had your third heart attack, and you don't change, you're dead, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly, Suddenly the, it's, a it's a lot easier, easier to, motivate to motivate yourself. yourself.
or to get started, right? And this can kind of goes back to how we began this whole thing. But yeah, that. So yeah, so I, I think there's that there's that edge with how far do you push the pain, because there is truth to it, right? It's not like we're making things up when we when we write these ads. If you don't change, you will face consequences. But uh, some people in the, nowadays feel like that's too too mean or too in your face or whatever. So there's got to be so that's kind of a thing too. When you're going to write your ads, you should look for the pleasures and the pains, or I would say like the benefits, and then and then you know there's people that are more naturally negative. I tell them focus on pain because you're going to know that. You know if you're more naturally positive, focus on pleasure. And then what I tell people is if you can only do one side or the other, that's fine. Just turn around then and write the opposite of, of, of that thing. So if you come up with all of these benefits, for example, like it does this, it does this, it does this, then write down what I call anti-benefits. So just write the opposite. If, if the benefit is you're going to, you know, lose weight and feel good, the anti-benefit is you're going to gain weight and feel terrible, right? So instantly now you have both ends of it. And depending upon the, you know, platform that, 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 that you're on and what they allow and what they don't, you can tweak how you write your ads and, and how you focus on things. So that's, that's but again, something that I've had to do more and more. Yeah, yeah I understand. Because, again, it's important to know who your audience is, and I'm always stunned by how little people understand their audience. They don't know. They haven't poked around to see who's who's paying attention, who needs what they have. Let's do this, if you don't mind. We've got about six minutes, and I think we can make it happen. But let's say we've got a $47 product. I like what you said about, you know, find a product that's reasonably priced and sell a ton of them. Let's say we've got a $47 product. We kind of know who our audience is, because that is tricky. You know, it's not for everybody. Listen to me again. It's yeah. not for everyone. But let's let's kind of walk through those seven steps with this $47 product. So what do I do? Where sure. do I go? What are my first steps? Yeah, well, so I would always say kind of step one you, you had already said, which is, which is figuring out who your audience is. So creating an avatar, you know, understanding um, – what their desires are, what their pain points are, what their goals are. And a big one that isn't really talked about is what they, what they currently believe about either uh, themselves or the product. Because a lot of times if, they, if you can't conquer that inner belief that they have, they're never going to change anyway. So you have to be thinking about that. Like what do they currently believe about themselves? and about the, either the industry that you're in or the product that you're selling or the, you know, whatever they, they have. So the more you can, you do that, that's, that's a big time. And then if we're going to, if we're going to kind of go on from there, then you're, you're going to want to, to do some research to figure out where is your audience spending their time at, right? If you're thinking about fishing as an, as a, uh, an analogy, where are the types of fish at that you want to, catch right so go to that lake or that pond or deep sea fishing or whatever you, you, you've got to find the right spot where those fish are at where your audience is and, and again that can be 
that could be paid ads, that could be free ads, or you know the you know SEO stuff if if you got time. But you got to find the audiences. Now Facebook's so big that truly they do they do have everyone there. But you got to be able to then hone in on it. So kind of then once you've chosen your channel, then you're you're going to want to to kind of create the targeting of who you're going to go after. And so this is where you choose your demographics and their interest and and every platform has its own thing. I could spend a you know a whole probably seminar on that you know on just go, go, you know going through those things. But you want to start to, to to choose the right targeting of who you're going after. And then the next step is you're you're going to want to start to write multiple multiple different ads. And because the the key to ads is not about being great; it's about being consistent and doing volume. You're, you're not going to sit down and punch out a great ad and be like, I did it. Here it is. You probably got to write 30 or 40 ads. So you're going to, so you're going to spend time with coming up with all these different hooks. So if you, if you did your job before and you came up with all those pain points, all those uh, benefits, use each of those to write an ad or two or three. And you, when you write an ad, just especially for like uh, social type things, follow the ADA framework, grab their attention, build their up their interest, create a desire, and get them to take an action. This AIDA, that's been around forever, and, 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 it, and, it, and it just works. It works, then right. the next, Yeah, then the next thing you're, you're going to do is um, you're, you're going to want to then um, go ahead and, and roll out all of those ads. So you're you're going to go in and you're and you're going to launch them all, and obviously you want to make sure your site's good. So that, that's kind of you know maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll re, revert that. So before yeah, so before you turn the ads on, you want to go back through your site and you want to make sure that your website the offering is focused on sort of one step at a time. There's nothing worse or sadder than seeing people that are that are sending paid traffic to a generic homepage. People don't have the time to think online. It's such a fast thing that they'll just go to the homepage and they'll just back out. So you need to send them to a page that does one thing, whether that's getting their email or selling one product or getting them to book a phone call or getting them to click a, you know, a form to, call to fill action, out for right. more info. Yeah, you need that call to action. So you want to make sure that you're following that sort of rule of one. So every, you know, one page for one step and only one call to action. Do this one thing. And then you can always, you know, get them to do more on the next step, right? But that's that's kind of the thing. So considering then you've done that. And then also a big thing, too, is make sure the copy from your ad at least correlates to the copy from your on your on your site, so if you if your um, uh, headline said do you want to do A, then your headline on your sales page or whatever should say here's how to do A or you know should match because then it just helps our brains. And then now we will take a step back and we'll go ahead and, and launch those ads and turn them on. And then kind of the final step here, and this is where it gets to be hard and it gets to be a little bit scary and it's you know terrifying because you're seeing these expensive ads. But now you're going to start watching, and you're going to let the ads tell you if people like them or if they don't. So if you right. do the job right and, and you have 20 ads out there, 
just the law of averages, you're going to see that like probably 15 of them are probably terrible, and maybe two or three are great, and maybe two or three are kind of eh. So you're going to start. You're going to you're going to spend time to turn off the ones that are bad, and turn up the ones that are doing great, and maybe the ones that are okay, you tweak them. And this is now giving you real life feedback that you can then you know, modify your sales pages and your steps and other ads based on the ones that actually resonate with your audience. So it's a process, and I know saying it like this sounds easy, but it is it is a little bit scary. Like 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 me right now, I'm you know basically I feel like wasting about three thousand bucks a month on ads while I try to find the right one. Right. And that's why I say that paid ads is, is a little bit scary. Now I'm a little bit, you know, more advanced. So that's why I'm you know, spending more, but, but I think that, you know, that's the process. So, so, and then you continually are going to be tweaking and iterating your ads, the audiences that you target, what the offer is of what you're selling and the copy that you're going to use on the sales page. And one last thing too, that's a big one that doesn't get uh, talked about much, but especially on social media sites, um, the images that you use actually have a, a, an outsized impact on the results. And that's coming from someone whose main job is to write words, but I've seen it firsthand that, that images have a bigger impact on the ad because the image grabs the attention. And then and the, the imagination. Ad, and then the words. Yeah, yeah. So you truly need good images and you want to be testing those and on social the more the image looks like a real image that you would post on that channel the better it it, it will do like it sounds it sounds really odd but if there's a picture of you eating like birthday cake on that's on your facebook ad and your ad talks about you know i turned this age and i realized this and this you know and it becomes an ad you'll get way more interest because it, it looks like it fits, right? Right. Um, as opposed to, like, you in, like, a pantsuit with your arms folded, you know, it's like, eh, <laughs> what's this? What's you know, the so banker post. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, anyway, that's a, a brain dump on that side of things. So. That is really helpful because, listen, Facebook ads scare the bejeebers out of me. They always have. Um, you know, I'm looking at the numbers going, how much? <laughs> I think I need to yes, sit down. Yeah. I'm going to have a, a, a fainting spell. I live in the South. We faint a lot in novels anyway. <laughs> but here's yeah. the thing. I mean, if you don't have a strategy, if you don't write it down and test it and follow it, if you're just kind of flinging spaghetti at the walls, you're, you're not going to get much. But you said something really important about the, the website, and I see this mistake over and over again. I'm going to tell you all something. As a web developer, I'm going to give you my best advice of the day. Go to your own website. Walk in as if you have never seen it. Go in your own front door. Write down everything that you see and everything that you're not seeing. I mean, do an audit. And I don't mean, you know, check to see if you've got bank backlinks and all of that. I mean, go in with brand new eyes and go, you know what, this sucks. This isn't working. What was I thinking? Or, hey, good job, but I think I can fix this over there. Before you do anything else, spend some time with your website. Find out what's working. Find out what's not. And then go take Mike's advice. Yep, that's great advice. 
Okay, listen, thank you. It has been wonderful speaking with you, and I really thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you've shared with our audience. And again, I apologize for speaking over you. It is a cell phone thing. It's not me being rude, I hope. But anyway, before we oh, say yeah. goodbye, before we say goodbye, I want you to tell people where they can find you, and then I will cut you loose. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, if you're interested in copy or anything of that with how to write ads and all that, just check out copywriterbrain.com. Um, I'm on there, and I have a weekly blog posts and uh, tons of free stuff there. So check it out. Great. Thank you. Well, listen, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Apple, Audible. Prime. We're everywhere. You literally can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. Just look for us and take us along on your success journey. Mike, thank you. Thank you. This is an awesome. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 